Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast here on Celtics Blog. I'm your host, Adam Motenko, here with co-hosts, my identical twin brother, Josh Motenko. What's up, Josh? What's up? I get my brother to introduce me at parties, too. You think this happens only on the podcast? Get real, guys. It's everywhere we go. When did I agree to this? I can't remember. And our friend, Mike Minkoff. How's it going, Mike? How's it going, guys? Uh, Strangely, these Motenkos just can't do anything without me, so here I am. (laughs) I'm introducing Mike at parties too, somehow. Today, we are on our second coronavirus episode. We are talking about player comps for current Celtics with former Celtics. We're going to hit some recent news in uh, mostly hiring of the Bulls front office. We're going to talk about um, players who may be available or roster changes that may be upcoming, as well as some other storylines for next season. But Josh, we're going to start it off... With you, Coach Mo, you've done some player comps, and you've got you. Mike and I haven't really thought about this at all. I'll be honest. That's my right. Space. I don't know. I don't know what's going on basketball wise. Um, I do remember. I don't know if you guys recall. I just want to want to kick us off here by saying, the Celtics are on a one game win streak. We got some momentum coming into this. Whenever this break ends, that we had a good win against Indiana. I'm feeling good <laughs> momentum wise. So uh, don't forget. We got that going for us. Good to know right. they'll this, they'll be able to carry that streak into next season. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Next season, no, no, no. When this season resumes, a month, three months, whenever it is, momentum is on our side. I'm excited. Adam, I'm going to disagree with you. We're actually not on a winning streak. We are undefeated. <laughs> we are zero and zero because it's the off season. Yeah, not not there yet. Definitely, the season hasn't ended yet. All right, let's talk about this a little later. All right, I have for you guys something that I consider very special, all right? I've been thinking about this for like two, three months. It was really something I, that I came up with two months ago that um, I was saving for the offseason. You know, this is offseason kind of talk. I, I was like, okay, which players on this team are like former Celtic players? They could be Celtic legends. They could be Celtic has-beens. Um, but to me, this is a very special list. You know, this is the kind of list I feel like comes around every five years or so. Um, because I think it's good. I think it's good. I was I was in a headspace, a certain headspace that day. Uh, I was using what my nine-year-old stepson calls my thinky brain. So here we go. Without further ado, <laughs> everybody um, is always happy when Josh uses his thinky brain. I just want to well, you don't know Josh. Thank my fa- my favorite part is that it's just it's a noteworthy occurrence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because the alternative is his non-thinky brain, and I, I think our audience AKA knows his that. his regular brain. <laughs> exactly. It's the way we mock each other in my house when someone does something a little silly is like clumsy or, or stupid. So, okay. So here's just to tell the audience, here's how this is set up. I have these names. The other co-hosts have not thought about these players and what player comps they have. So in our notes, I have all the, the roster, uh, including Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge. And I'm going to fill the names in as I say them. So the first name on the list, all right, is Grant Williams. Uh, let me give you guys a few seconds to think. Do you guys have a player comp from the yeah, Celtics history? For Grant Williams. Who is it, Adam? Paul, Paul Silas. Undersized, oh, power forward, rebounder, kind of a wide body, dirty work. That's pretty good. Oh, that's I'm pretty so good. I, I was, I was I'm so happy with myself right now. I was going to go. you guys hear the applause from the audience? I was going to go was with so Cedric well Maxwell. What? Cedric Maxwell. I've given this, like I've a, given this a, whole, a whole 12 seconds of thought. So that's about all I got in the rosters that I've looked at. <laughs> Wasn't Those he, are good he was suggestions. a Finals MVP. Yeah, Grant okay. Williams. He actually score. You're really, you're really high on Grant Williams' ceiling, right, Adam? So there you go. Not that high. 
Cedric Maxwell I mean, I, was, I like was an all because he's always using his basketball thinking brain. I, I'm not court. saying it was a good answer. I'm just saying it's what I had. This is good. This is good. I'm glad you guys had an answer in such a short period of time. Those were good <laughs> answers, Adam, especially yours. However, I have the answer for you guys. The NBA historical player comp for Grant Williams is, as I write it in the podcast notes, ML Carr. Oh, I was considering what? him too. ML Carr. Think about it. That towel waver. He was always a little worried. You know, always everyone was always worried about his weight. You know, maybe is he too heavy? Is he going to balloon up? Like that's an issue I think for Grant Williams, at least in the past. He had infectious energy and an infectious personality. He was always the first one up on the bench. He gave maximum effort on the floor. Um, he wasn't a, a big time rotation player, but he could have been. You know, he was kind of in and out. Um, that's, I mean, come on, is there a better player comp than that? Yeah, I think Paul Silas is definitively a better, <laughs> a better comp. <laughs> Why? Uh, because he's a rebounder, undersized, gritty player. Um, was not a small forward. Was played played uh, a yeah. big man role, uh, which is clearly the place that uh, Grant Williams should should be playing in the NBA, in today's NBA. So uh, let's change up the rules a little bit, and I'm going to give the point to Motenko Adam. Wow, Ooh, I love that we're doing points. Please play along at home. Josh, who's um, there, I have I have a, a prize for any one of you guys that gets the same answer as me. So Adam, get okay. your psychic abilities going here. Yep. Uh, Semi Ojale is next. Ooh. Anyone? As you're um, listening, if you have suggestions or you think we're wrong, please let us know. I don't know. Don Nelson? What? Oh, interesting. I don't know. Did, I, look, this I'm going to go, go with Kevin Gamble. Kevin Gamble. No, I don't like it. I, it's, you need somebody who was a bruiser. Actually, no. No, change it. Eric Williams. Okay. Eric Williams. That's not bad. I mean, Eric had a handle, got to the foul line. I don't really love my answer here. We brought hit this name up when talking about Semi Ojale already. James Posey. That's yeah. who I want Semi to become. Obviously, he's not that right now. But and nor will he ever be. Maybe. Mm-hmm. All he's got to do is knock down threes in the playoffs. That's all he's got to do. But what he is right now is a big, bruising, solid defender who is a little clumsy, can't do a whole lot on offense. Does that not remind you of Eric Williams? No, Eric Williams was all post-game. I mean, I remember Eric Williams getting to the free-throw line at will. He had some yeah. skill to his game. Eric Williams got to the free-throw line like, like superstars get to the free-throw line. He played a much larger role, too. He did have a couple of, of legit offensive seasons. Like Joe Klein as a small forward, that would be the, my Shemi Ojole. Just like kind of clumsy and foully. <laughs> Definitely foully. Yeah, I was trying to go against different positions i only have one player comp that's a different position um but i don't see ojale as a like bruiser I, you know to me that's a big man and ojale is not a big man he you know he doesn't even do that well defending bigs so i don't see the bruiser i see i see stri- a straight wing who's just a little oversized all right next name romeo langford reggie lewis that's Rick what Fox. i thought too 
I thought Reggie Lewis too, Mike. Um, Reggie I didn't Lewis. put him down. You don't get, you know, you can't, you can't go rookie who barely plays to superstar. So that's why I didn't do that. But you're the one who labeled there. Romeo Langford an all-star after you played like nine minutes in the NBA, and now you're telling me I'm <laughs> rushing to judgment on the comparison? Outrageous! This is outrageous. <laughs> I didn't call him an all-star. I said he would be an all-star at some point in his career. Adam. <laughs> This is a I, win goes to Mike on that one for that argument. Uh, you think that I called him an all star right now, Josh? Josh, I'm tr- yeah, trying to make this as current as you possible. You called him a future all star. Yeah, Josh, you you are he super is. high on Romeo, so you're not allowed to tell other people to slow their roll on, on, on Romeo being good. But I need a clarification. Being Reggie Lewis? Talk- I didn't say Reggie Lewis. I said Rick Fox. But you gave Mike the win on that. No, oh, on our, on talent no, on, on, on his comp. on calling shenanigans on, on your yeah on oh, your yeah. you're pushing uh, back on me. That. Yeah, I think Rick Fox is a good comp. He's playing solid D. I mean, clearly Rick Fox played a lot more minutes, so we need somebody that barely played. Who do you have, Josh? Yeah, I mean, my I have rookie Joe Johnson as the comp for Romeo Langford. Uh, if you remember, you know he wasn't a big time scorer his rookie year. He wasn't a guy who was relied on every play. He was. You know, it was Rick Pitino was coaching him. He yeah, I don't remember the young guys. I don't remember Rick yeah, Joe Johnson. Bad. That was like, like a we fart, traded a him away, in, like a fart in the wind. On the yeah, we traded, <laughs> we traded him away like Billups. You know, without really giving him a long look, and we knew he was going to be good. We didn't know Billups was going to be good, but we knew Joe Johnson was going to be good. But we weren't really giving him that right away. And um, yeah, that's my. Josh, player you get comp the win for that comp. I think that's a great comp. Joe Johnson showed signs, but didn't get enough minutes. He played solid D. He could pass a little bit. He could sc- clearly had some scoring instincts. I like it. Okay, I didn't. I I did not. I was projecting out uh, Romeo's future and what that comp could be. So I I was doing the game wrong. Got it. Okay, I'm ready now. Next name. Whoever gets it first gets the prize. Javante Green. Uh, Tony Allen. Pro. Who said it? Tony Allen. Who said that? Mike? That was me. Ding ding ding. Yes. <laughs> that is correct. Tony Allen. Adam, who did you say? Kedrick Brown. <laughs> oh, Kedrick. Because Javante Green remember, is not going to be on this team next year. Remember when we all got excited about him? <laughs> in his future. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, that was a good Kedrick's one. not a bad comp. Yeah, Kedrick is not a bad comp at all. Tony Allen was definitely better than Javante Green. Um, I'm moving a name up because of Kedrick Brown's mention. He's... The next name on the list is Robert Williams, and that was the only non-positional player I, I had a player comp for. I had the player comp for Robert Williams, Time Lord, as a 6'10", Kedrick Brown. Never nervous Purvis. Oh, Purvis. Interesting. There isn't a single player comp for... We, the Celtics have never had anybody that resembles Robert Williams. No, that, actually, Purvis was not my real one. My real one for Robert Williams would have been Tony Batie. I like that. Yeah. I'm gonna, None I'm of these guys were... It's not, it's not a great... Oh, no. Shoot. Oh no 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 never mind yeah yeah Tony Batine we never yeah, had another? Marcus we never had Marcus Camby right I I confused myself rooting no, for right. him at UMass <laughs> we've never had a player with a uh, center with that athleticism like the players you're mentioning maybe Purvis Ellison before he played for the Celtics could have been on the list but Tony Batine not when he Tony did Batine Tony had Batine. some hops yeah yeah that's bad. why. So, uh, what do you guys think of the Kedrick Brown comparison because this is but he wasn't six ten so no uh, yeah. <laughs> No, you've already established that you're not. You're only comparing by position. I established. I'm trying not to do that. I officially but, deleted it from the list. I officially Mike deleted six ten Kedrick Brown from the list. Not eligible. <laughs> oh boy! I think yeah. Win goes to Mike on that one. All right, 
Next name on the list, Brad Wanamaker. I can't come oh, up with man. a good I'm, one. I'm saying John Bagley. John Bagley. Yeah. Mike wants John Bagley. Why? I don't know. He was just a big guy. He could throw his body into people. And I just am amused by John ba- Brett Bagley and want him to. John Bagley be, was I want short. Him to, I want to call out to John Bagley. That's all. That's really it. Hear- That's the extent of my <laughs> rationale. <laughs> we just have to mention Let's just John let Bagley. him live on in fame. <laughs> yeah. He was definitely one of our pudgiest players. <laughs> <laughs> But John Bagley wasn't throwing his weight around. He was like 5'11", 5'10". He was short. He was a delight. I mean, Him and Dino Josh, Raja really... was, a, was a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> all John Bagley could do with his weight was throw it around. What do you guys think that about... That was his only option. What do you guys think about Khalid el He had a cup of coffee with the Celtics, as we're thinking about doughy point I guards. genuinely don't remember him. What? So, he played for the Celtics? Sorry, Khalid. For like he had like a ten day contract. I va- I vaguely remember this. Yeah, no, or I could be wrong. That's not okay. As uh, that. as Charles Barkley said, as when he titled his book, I might be wrong, but I doubt it. Brad Wanamaker's player comparison. Drum roll, please. Sam Sherman Douglas. Sam Cassell. What? Ooh, not bad. That's terrible. Sam Cassell. atrocious. Yeah, you got to have a larger point guard. Who's strong, can get into the paint, can hit some mid-range shots, is you know a little bit savvy. Um, no, obviously, is, Sam Cassell had a huge career, and hold on, Mike, and played playoff minutes for us. Ridiculous. But Brad Wanamaker was on the borderline of, of potentially playing playoff minutes for us this year, and if he played well, I think that's a pretty good comp. There is no way Brad Wanamaker would ever pull out a cojones dance. <laughs> that's not why he's the player comp. <laughs> but that, was that's not... a big piece of who Cassell was. Like that attitude, that that yes. that ability to be like the prime timiest player in a moment. Like that's part of who he was. His game. I don't see the that comp at all. The fact at that Brad Wanamaker literally has never passed the ball on a fast break makes me feel like he thinks he's going to make every shot. He does well, but there's some there's some balls there. I would say. <laughs> that's just blind is there any other way to explain that i don't know <laughs> all i gotta say is find uh, me a better comp than sam cassell i think i did one. i like his sherman john bagley <laughs> i think it's got to be john bagley or sherman douglas adam likes sherman douglas oh boy. i like sherman douglas better than sam cassell i know but again sherman douglas was 510 511 yeah, yeah brad I mean, wanamaker doesn't play big but he's six he four strong. and strong hey he plays big he plays he's strong. six two not six four. He can he can guard off guards. All right, who's next, Josh? Well, no, I'm just glad that we mentioned Sherman Douglas. Obviously, look, I'll give you guys kudos. When I first started doing this, the, some of the first names I came up with was John Bagley and Sherman Douglas. You got to just think back to those guys as some of our favorite mediocre players of Celtics past. Man, uh, next name on the list. So bad when we were kids. <laughs> we all grew up. Just for the listeners, we all grew up 80s, 90s. That's our era. That's why you're hearing a lot of these names. Marcus Smart is the next name on the list. DJ, done. Yep. Move ding, on. Ding, done. ding, ding. Mike, <laughs> two prizes for Mike. God. Dennis. I forgot Johnson. speed was an issue here. Yeah. That yeah, one, that yeah. one was yeah. like, I mean, the honestly, Danny Ainge is not a bad comp for him either. Mm. Um, yep. uh, but I think I would go Dennis Johnson first. So explain why, because I got reasons. Why Dennis Johnson? I mean, they're just yeah. gritty, 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 heady defenders. Um, they're just 
you know, guys you want on your side in the trenches and the, in the most pivotal moments are going to make the right play. They're going to step up to the moment, uh, not be, not be afraid to take the shot, not necessarily the best shooters out there. Um, but always game like Dennis Johnson was Larry Bird's favorite teammate. Exactly. DJ was confident on offense as well. He had far better reason to be as a former scoring champ, but that, that fits the comp too. So, yeah, I mean, when you look back on this current team, like 10 years from now, you start interviewing the best player from our current Celtics team, whether it's Kemba, Tatum, and they say, and you ask them, like, who is your favorite player on the team? Who's the one that made the most impact? Who's the one teammate you, you think rose above all the others? I don't think it's going to be Jalen Brown or actually the better players on the team, Hayward. I think they're going to talk about Marcus Smart. Like, that guy was special. He was different. And just like Larry Bird talked about DJ. Sweet. Next name on the list. Uh, since you guys mentioned Danny Ainge, I'm moving up another player. He is the player comp that I had for Gordon Hayward. Wait, I had Danny Ainge. You didn't even give us a chance to guess it? Yeah, this one you yeah. don't get a chance, all right? Well, but that's a terrible comp. Tell me are, why. You, are you blinded by their skin color? <laughs> no, they're a similar size. I think they have a similar feel for the game. They okay, I'll, I'll actually things. tell you why you're... They're tough on defense. They can both shoot the piss out of it. You know, that's kind of their role no, on the you, team. I'll tell you why it's, this especially doesn't make sense coming from you. Because... You've been dogging Gordon Hayward this year for having fear of the moment, for yeah, exactly. not not playing up. That is, no one would ever say that about Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge was a dog. Danny thought... Ainge was a dog on the court. He antagonized everyone. He is the exact opposite mentally of Gordon Hayward. Um, yeah, I I would I have Are to think done? a little Let bit more. You know when I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Good, good Mike, because I'm, I'm glad comp- you brought. I'm glad you brought that up. Hang on, I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because confidence issues was a thing for Danny Ainge. I saw a recent interview with him in the early '90s when he was with the Phoenix Suns, talking about how he was intimidated by all the great legends on the Celtics: McHale, Bird, Parrish. He didn't want to shoot the ball much, and he kind of over the, the beginning portion of his career had to be taught, like, "Hey, get your confidence right. We need you to step up and shoot these shots." And confidence has always been an issue for Gordon Hayward in his Celtics tenure. Um, so I'm glad you made that point for me, Mike. Obviously, Danny Ainge was always really scrappy from the beginning of his career, especially towards the end. And towards the end was more like Marcus Smart, where he would actually get in people's heads. And, and that was like his intangibles was part of why you wanted him as a teammate. So, um, Adam, go. I was, I mean, I, I was going to say uh, Havlicek, which I don't think is a great answer. But is a better answer than Danny Ainge. What? Havlicek's too too good. But I, I, I agree I, it's I better agree. than Danny Ainge. I, I actually think this one might be a good one for um, Cedric Maxwell, which I used before. Yeah. Oh, nice. Or what about Dominique Wilkins? Neek. <laughs> Celtics, Celtics Neek. Yeah. Um, oh God, that, yeah, I'm putting that one down too. So, I mean, Dominique with the Celtics was worse than Gordon Hayward. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's less ra- well-rounded for sure. So here's the issue with the Havlicek comparison. Um, when we got Havlicek, or, or when it was rumored that we may be looking at him, that's who Tommy Heinsohn thought he played like. He was like, this guy's going to come here and be like John Havlicek. Um, so that's how Homer, Homerist, a call that is, Adam, for you to call Hayward Havlicek. Thank you for the compliment. I mean, he's got an all-around game. <laughs> he can do it all. 
plays within the flow. Can we do Poirier next? Just smart. because I want I want to think about all of the oh my god yeah, questionable centers next. centers we've had in our history and <laughs> Poirier is the next man on the list. Allah Abdel Nabi. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've been calling him French Favarani for a reason. We already have the comp. I still want to shout out Allah Abdel Nabi. I mean, so who are the, the, terrib- the, the worst Celtic centers of all time? There's so many. Greg um, Kite. Oh, no. Stojko Vrankovic. Yeah, Vrankovic. Vrankovic. I think Vrankovic is actually the right answer. That is the answer. Points to Adam. That really? is the answer. Stojko Vrankovic. That's right. I, I, was, I co-signed on that one. Think about it. Stojko was seven foot two Could and not move. that mobile. Yeah. You know, like Poirier is a legit seven footer in an age when there aren't many of them right now. See, I think that's actually an affront to Stojko Vrankovic. Stojko, <laughs> Stojko balled out in the Olympics, and he could he could deep people up. He he was a great interior defender. And, Before uh, he got to the Celtics, I say that about Vitor, about French Favarani. So Adam, first yeah, of all, Stojko, yeah, Stojko was great before he got to the Celtics. These are Celtic player comps. So this is Celtic Stojko. Celtic Stojko was not a great interior defender. He barely got minutes. Ala Abdul Nabi. Do we want to bring back any memories of Ala Abdul Nabi and, and the, I literally the remember touch. nothing about him aside from his name. He had great touch around the rim. Um, not that he used it that often or that we got the ball. What about Eric Montross? For Poirier? For Poirier. Eric Montross played far better. Yeah. No way. Especially his rookie year. Montross was not bad his rookie year. He just got worse as his career went on. He did. Oh, who's the so guy now. whose feet AC Earl. AC Earl. AC Earl. Yeah. See, also the, terrible, but this guy stinks. No, I guys. know this guy stinks. I'm not <laughs> Poirier, Poirier or ACR. Poirier stinks. How about how about Joe Wolf? Joe Wolf. Joe Wolf is a good one, Adam. I do not. Who the heck is Joe Wolf? I have Paul, no idea. That's the point. How about Hank a, Finkel? Who's Hank Finkel? I don't know. Are you on a certain website right now, Adam? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Where are these names coming from? Celtics roster is my brother. Joe Wolf. Joe Wolf was a big. Joe Wolf was a big white guy, I believe, with blonde hair. So you know how well he would have played. Oh, all right. Ala Abdul Nabi was a player comp for Daniel Tice that I had. I had another one too that I also oh. don't like that much. Um, Ooh, who do you guys got for Daniel Tice? Anyone? Pinkney. I don't know. I... Um. Man, Daniel Tice. The other one that I have that I don't really like is Al Horford. Because if you think about it, in a way, without, the, without all the three-point shooting and the five assists a game that he would be able to get, like everything else that Daniel Tice does is mimicking Horford and kind of living up to what Horford was going to be this year, next year, as his career starts to decline a little bit. I mean, Tice has been out of, played out of this world. What do you think about that one? I think it's a little too. It's not quite. I don't love it. I, I want to say Cowens, but that's insane. yeah. That I I was just struggling with that one. I'm as thinking well. of undersized centers who hustle and are more athletic than. than what about the X Men? Yeah, no, <laughs> no. But Pinkney, I mean Pinkney's not a bad one. Pink, Eric Lane Pinkney, Popeye, Popeye Jones. Mike, you only remember his big years. You don't remember his game. That's ab- yeah. absolutely correct. <laughs> he had a game like Jared Sollinger. That was Popeye Jones. He yeah. did have a big caboose. I vaguely remember that. 
and could shoot a little bit and was a very good rebounder, especially offensive rebounder. See, I feel like Tony Petit is probably the best. I player. was thinking that too. But Tony Petit really could not shoot at all. Like He had like a 12-footer that he sometimes made. Yeah, he had that baseline jumper. That was automatic. Oh, he, man. He could shoot the mid-range. I totally forgot about David Wesley. <laughs> yeah, nobody brought up. I'm just going through rosters and <laughs> being reminded. As you as you think about David Wesley, who was very good, let's not forget how good David Wesley. No, was he was good. Himself. He was good. Absolutely. The next name on the list, Carson Edwards. No, Dino, uh, that's not well. So See, if I was David say, Wesley's a good comp. No, he's not. David Wesley was so much better. Is David Wesley a good comp for Wanamaker? Or is that ridiculous? No, nah, it's too small. No. And too much of an outside shooter. Totally different games. As the guy who compared him to two small point guards. Yeah, David yeah, Wesley's but... my comp for, for Carson. What? I think that makes, makes the most That's sense. That's outrageous. I, mean, look, I, I, hate, I hate Carson Edwards as much as the next guy, Mike. But if I were going to compare him. He's supposed to, to be a shooter. If I was going to compare him to a good player, I'd compare him to Dana Barros. But it just doesn't bing, make bing, any bing, sense. Bing, 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 bing. But he's That's like, wh- Dana Barros is so much better than Carson Edwards will ever be. That's right. I had Dana Barrows as one of three names on the list. I'll end with the name I think he's most like. Dana Barrows, obviously, because of his shooting, but Barrows, even during his Celtics time, played better. Uh, and obviously, Barrows had some really good years with the Sixers when he, he had a game of 50 points. Um, Delonte West was another name that came to mind for Carson Edwards, which was so hard for me because Delonte West is one of my top five favorite Celtics of all time. Um, really? Delonte West. Why? Can I go on a Delonte West tangent right now? Yeah. Why? Delonte West would go up and block your seven-footers dunk. Delonte West was, you know, just poised on the court. He was always making different kinds of plays. He would do a little bit of everything on the court. And, and he, he had a little bit of Marcus Smart in him in that he would make some game-winning plays and he had some, some special poise about him. Um, he was clutch. He obviously didn't have that much upside. You know, he hit his potential pretty early on. Um, and then things were, you know, obviously went very downhill for him, but I loved his personality too. That was when I first started, you know, being a, an everyday, uh, reader and, and, uh, you know, just monitor of Celtics blog. Like that was, that was back when Celtics blog first started. Delonte West was one of the blog's favorites. If you remember just all of the, the, the quotables that he had, um, he was funny. He knew how to give a good interview. He, you know, and obviously he was talented. He and, and he was he had heart, and that's that's Celtics pride. I think he embodied Celtics pride. He's one of my top five favorite Celtics of all time. But obviously, not a great comparison to Carson Edwards. Wait, I've got I've got the right comp for Carson. Edwards. Oh, really? Because yeah. I have one more to tell you. Go, Joe Forte. Oh, interesting. Ooh, good one. Good one, Mike. Wow, that's that is. That's known is, for getting in that trouble. That predicts a sad future. Yes, and I've also got I've also got the right comp for Wanamaker. Okay, well, hold on to that one. Okay, Joe Forte, best remembered and most famous for getting in trouble with the Celtics brass Ooh. for wearing a Scooby Doo T-shirt under his suit jacket on the bench. Um, oh, I got a couple. Ooh, I just got a couple good ones. Okay, oh, I got one for. We, um, let's close out Carson Edwards. First. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm just getting excited. <laughs> I'm just getting excited. <laughs> Adam, you got anything else for Carson? No, I have no okay. reason to speak about him any further. Jerry Seasting, Carson Seasting? Edwards comparison. Jerry, no Seasting. way. Jerry Seasting was so much better. 
Well, not better, not more as incorrect English as this is. He's not more better than Dana Barrows <laughs> would be, <laughs> or Delonte West as a comp, or David Wesley. You know, C Sting was all he could do was shoot. You know, but he was real gritty. That is not true. He ran the offense. He could pass a bit. He ran the offense for like three minutes a game. <laughs> Danny Ainge ran the offense. Larry Bird ran the offense secondarily. Other guys ran the offense secondarily to to DJ during that era. It wasn't Jerry. That was the point guard's job back then. It was just to run the offense. All right, moving on. All right, wait, wait, wait. Can I give you? Can can we revisit back to Wanamaker? I want to go back to Wanamaker. I also want to go back to um, Tice. Okay. So for for Wanamaker first, um, don't say John Bagley again. Oh wait, I also want to go back to uh, (laughs) Ojale. So for Wanamaker, Milk Palacio. Oh. Yeah. Eh. Milt, Milt Palacio, I, the only okay. NBA player, the only NBA player ever from the country of Belize. Milt Palacio. Uh, according to Basketball Reference, he was born in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Josh if using you, his thinky brain. No, if he, if you go to Belize, they claim him as Belizean. If you right. go to, if you go to European websites, he's listed as Belizean nationality. Okay, just okay. I'm just saying. I'm gonna believe you on that one, Josh. Um. So wait, let's what do we, wait, wait, wait. What do we remember about Mil Palacio? I remember him as being like a solid ball handler. He generally drove. He was a relatively smart player. He he performed better than anyone really expected, but he didn't really have a, a high ceiling in the NBA. And all of those things, I feel like, can be attributed to Wanamaker. And how tall was he? Six three. Six three. Yeah, good comp. I like it. Can I can I give one uh, somewhat similar for Ojale? Yeah, but real quick, Wikipedia says Milt Palacio is a Belizean American professional basketball player. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> uh, Adrian Griffin for Shemi Ojale. Thank you. No way. I like no it. No way. No way. Adrian, Adrian Griffin. Griffin he, yeah, go. Adam. He could hit ball handle and yep, pass. He, yep. he was a guy you would run your offense through on your third unit. <laughs> Uh, okay, Let, which is IQ. so much more than you If anybody say. would like their eyes to bleed, they should take a look at the Boston Celtics 2000-2001 roster and <laughs> just look at anyone other than Antoine Walker and Paul Pierce. It is brutal. <laughs> it's a who's who of brutality. It is so bad. But Adrian Griffin, I like that comp a little bit because Adrian Griffin was similar size, definitely a wing, could do a little, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, like semi, you know, semi can shoot, he can defend, like he's got his strengths and that's about it. Like Adrian Griffin wasn't a great defender. He was a good help side defender, but he wasn't great like one-on-one overall defender. It wasn't that quick. You know, he didn't have like the NBA type um, build, like as far as athleticism and, and, you know, those kinds of things, but his intangibles, you know, got him on the court. And I think the same thing is true of semi. His intangibles, meaning his defense, gets him onto the court. So Adrian Griffin was like a guy who shouldn't have been an NBA player, but, but played his way into being one. All right. And, okay. and my Daniel Tice, my, my callback for Daniel Tice. I love Walter, Walter McCarty, 6'10", rangy, athletic, defensive player, could hit threes, kind of jack-of-all-trades type. <sighs> totally different games. Yeah. They definitely had totally different games, but I still think it's, Better than Tony Batie. 
I think Eric Pickney is still the best comp for Dan. Ed, 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 put some respect Ed, on that. Ed, my bad. <laughs> That's the, twice in the pod I've said his name wrong. All right, you guys ready for the next name? Yes. Yep. Ennis Cantor. Tommy Heinz. Uh, there's a little, there's a little <laughs> no, Dino Raja to his game. There's a little Dino Raja. Uh, Vitaly Potapenko. Oh, I don't know if I like either of those. <laughs> mine's, not, mine's not any better. Mine is Celtics version of Bill Walton. No, come on. Stop Whoa. It. Just stop. Comes that. in off the bench. No, stop. stop. Gets rebounds. You're and score. Just listen. Yeah. Just listen. He gets. He comes in off the <laughs> no, bench. He gets rebounds and scores. <laughs> He's got personality. You know, Ennis Cantor is one of those guys who's kind of always doing his own thing a little bit. Um, you take out all of Bill Walton's career <laughs> before or after his Celtics tenure, and I mean they play a similar role on the team. No, why not? Absolutely not. Because Walton is savvy and can pass the ball and brought so much more to the table, even at that point. And so, but Dino Raja to me, he was like a he was an all star. Was he an all star? He was a Celtic star. I think he may have been an all star one year. He, I mean, he he was a rebounder and a and a post player, offensive post player. Didn't defend. What about Al Jefferson? Six eleven, two twenty five. Celtics version of Al. Yeah, Al Jefferson. That's a great. That's a good comp. Yep, I like that. I, yeah, but Al Jefferson was someone that we like really thought was going to be a star. It's, I think it's hard for people who remember Al Jefferson well to compare any bad player to him because he was, you know, the twinkle in our eyes or whatever. He was the light in the, at the end of the tunnel for a while there. And not, no one ever thinks Ennis Cantor is going to be that. In fact, everybody was down on him thinking he was a poor defender uh, or poorer than he really was and wasn't going to be able to help. You couldn't even play him because of that, you know, because of everything online about Cantor. Patapenko. Huh? Oh, never mind. Sorry. Go. Potapenko was is is a decent suggestion too. It's just he was. I mean, he's a good suggestion because they have the same feet. You know, their feet are in, stuck in cement, and for both Cantor and Potapenko, like those guys. Well, and Al Jefferson, even and Al Jefferson. Young. Yeah. All right, now we're getting to the meat of the discussion here. Wait, can I start... can I can I try one more for Shemi? Yeah. Shemi, you want to go back again? I want to yeah. go back for Shemi. Yeah, Ryan Gomes. I love That's Ryan Gomes. Bad. Ryan Gomes. Uh, yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> I like it. I don't want to go you, semi You're speechless to Ryan Gomes. in your love for him, huh, Josh? I'm speechless in my disrespect for the fact that Mike, I think, is getting this one right. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Uh, we talked about Hayward already. Gomes. The more I think about it, I love it. Guy couldn't dribble, he was a tweener. Uh, he had, he seemed like he should have some game, but it never really translated. His future is very limited. He, he's kind of big, not, not the same bruiser that, uh, Shemi is, but tries hard, decent Good locker room defender. You, Good locker room guy. Did you ever say your last yep. name, Josh, for, um, Carson Edwards? My last name? You said you had three comps. Did you ever th- say the third one? Yeah. Yeah. Jerry Seasting. Oh, that's right. Okay. So Eddie House wasn't on that list. No, he was not on that list. Okay. That's sacrilege. <laughs> okay. I mean, if like if I'm going what my player comp for Semi Ojale was and, and called him James Posey, and you're look, talking about like best case scenario for the guy, then Eddie House could be what you might want Carson Edwards to be, and kind of what Carson Edwards was playing like in college, especially in the tournament when he had multiple forty point games. So I mean, that's 
Eddie House always thought he could do more too. I'm sure Carson Edwards thinks he could do more. Um, and I think it's true that he, he could, but you know, I'm not ready to, to go there now. I'm ready to go to Jason Tatum though. I'm going to go with uh, Havlicek. Yeah, that's not bad. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to need a minute. I have the one and only Paul Pierce as Jason Tatum's. Yeah. That's yep, that's it. That's probably. Of course. Good. Yeah. Fine. Fine. Well, not much more to wow. say about that one. Scalabrine. Wow. <laughs> Jalen Brown. Reggie Lewis. Ding, 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 ding. Mike gets three prizes today, Mike. You're, you're killing it wow. right now. Reggie Lewis is the Jalen Brown comp. One of those guys who was around 20 points per game many years. Uh, took a while to grow into his, his talent. Um, has a chance, you know, let's say a, a bunch of people get injured. That's the guy you want to step up and lead your team for weeks on end, waiting for other guys to get back. I mean, and, and Brown's proven that he can do that when during all the injuries we've had. and. You know, that's where Reggie was when Mikhail and Bird were taking a lot of games off. He led the team. And similar games, too. You know, similar size, similar athleticism, kind of the, the young future. All right. Last player name on the list is Kemba Walker. Tiny Archibald. Jojo White. Tiny Archibald, Adam. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, I was going to say, why, why are we taking so long to give me I was going to go with that one, too, but you beat me to it, so I had to try JoJo White. <laughs> Prize. I have one more name on there. Kenny Anderson I have on there, too. I was going to say. Um, but I thought of Tiny Archibald just before we started the pod, and I think he's a better comp than Kenny Anderson. Obviously, you got to pick a player who's got some, some stuff to his game, um, some tricks in his bag, so... You know, guys with swagger, Tiny and, and Kenny. Uh, Tiny was from New York too, right? Just like Kenny Anderson and Kemba Walker. You guys know? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Kemba, I like the Tiny reference because Tiny was a guy who was one of the team leaders, one of the guys with the highest points per game on the Celtics, had a great career on other teams as well. I think that's the end of the discussion on that one, unless you guys got more for Kemba. No, nope. but I have another player. Another player on the on team. The you want to do? You want to do yeah. Taco? I want to do Tremont Waters. Who do you got for Tremont? Well, who do you guys got for Tremont? I got somebody. We don't. Who we do took. Him, we talked about this. We took him off the list. Tremont Waters. I mean Shane Larkin. Decent. What about Tyus Edney? I like that. Yeah, not bad. But... <laughs> Silence. Not bad. Didn't Tyus Edney have like twenty assists in the game once? Am I making that up entirely? I don't know if it was. Yeah, 20. that was that was what's his face, uh, the coach of the Bulls, for a while. What's his name? Scott Skiles. With yeah, Scott Skiles. Thank you. Tyus Edney was a great player. Met him a few times. Great dude. All right, now we got to do Taco Fall. How? That's why we originally weren't going to put the two-way contract guys on this list, but Taco Fall. Eric Eric Montrose. You just want to keep saying Eric Mondras. I do. <laughs> Joe Klein, I mean, we, the tallest guy that we've had. So Joe Klein. Well, so Stoiko was seven two. We had to have Joe a, Klein was had another. No, Joe Klein was the seven footer. What was he? Yeah, he was. He was, he was no more than seven one or seven feet. And Taco, there is no player comp for, comp for Taco. The dude hasn't even really played. Out on the Celtics. 
I don't even want to go to Taco. Yeah. Tremont, Tremont, we can do Tremont because he's played more minutes with the Celtics, you know, but All right. Taco. Let's move on All to right. the next. So now we got now we got coaches. We got Brad Stevens. We need a comp, a coaching comp from Celtics lore for Brad Stevens. Doc Rivers. I mean, ooh. why? Red. I don't. I don't think red hour back. I don't think it's appropriate to. No. Yeah. Comp anyone can't. red. Yeah. I don't either. But uh, that's the closest. So uh, no, for coaching wise, you can't go red with Brad Stevens because Stevens hasn't won enough. I mean, all right, Jimmy Stevens Rogers. has never won it. Steena, what? Jimmy Rogers? No, no, you can't know. go. You can't. You're you're on two ends of the spectrum, Adam. Chris Ford. Doc, no, 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 no. Doc Rivers is decent because he did some winning, but you know that guy won a championship with, with the Celtics. Brad Stevens hasn't done that. Well, what are we gonna? I do? mean, like, comp him to ML Carr or something. Got, I mean, no, I've got uh, what I have. Obviously, I've got a guy who won a championship too, but I've got Casey Jones, <laughs> my player. <laughs> I love how Josh makes up the rules and then breaks them immediately. So that's why Doc Rivers is a decent cop. <laughs> uh, but, you know, look, obviously we love Brad. We think that he's going to be really successful. We think he can win a championship with this team. You can't go all the way to Red Auerbach with him, but you can go guys who won one championship, Casey Jones, Doc Rivers. I forget if Casey won more than one with the Celtics. Um, I don't okay. think so. Then let's... Then let's try a comp for Danny Ainge then. So Danny Ainge, Adam, you were right on with Red Auerbach. You gotta go red <laughs> you gotta go red Auerbach for Danny Ainge. What? Yes. As what? a GM, well, there's like three choices. Right? It's not gonna be Chris Wallace. <laughs> 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 but look, there's there is several reasons why you could do Danny Ainge to Red Auerbach as a player comp or as a as a GM comp, because as a decision maker, Danny Ainge has fleeced some teams on some of his trades, on some of his free agent signings. He's made some some decisions that are really our backian. And yep. he is also the extension of Celtics pride within the organization. He's the extension of all the history, all the Celtics lore. He can tell all the stories about how decisions used to be made. You know, the whole thing about Brad Stevens you know, being a good coach to develop young players and to make them work for their minutes and learn to play defense for their minutes, even though we all know they're going to be stars. I mean, that culture is an old Celtics culture that Red Auerbach instilled with his teams in the 60s and, and earlier. So um, there's many reasons that Danny Ainge, you know, obviously Danny as a player and even Danny as a coach, very different from Danny as a GM. Danny is a way better GM than he ever was, as certainly as a coach for the Phoenix Suns and, and definitely as a player too. Didn't you win 50, 54 games or something one year? I don't remember that. I think he was a pretty good coach. He was a player coach for a minute. And then, you know, he 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 didn't last long as a coach. It wasn't really what he was good at. Um, and as a player, obviously, we know he was extremely solid to good. Not great, but good. Yeah, and he had a 60% winning percentage as a coach. How many years did he coach? Maybe I'm remembering uh, things wrong. He won. Yeah, he went Suns. fifty-six and twenty-six in ninety-seven, ninety-eight. All right. So, uh, just to make sure my point is still the correct one, was he a better GM or better coach? Definitely a better GM. I I agree with that. But he was not a bad coach. He succeeded. And, he succeeded. He's kind of. I mean, somewhat like Larry Bird. He succeeded in basically any role. Yeah. I mean, if you ask Red Auerbach right now from the grave, is Danny Ainge the Red Auerbach of current GMs? 
you know, you got it. He's going to say yes. He's, that's the guy. Uh, he'd probably say, he'd give him a zinger. <laughs> probably give, uh, give some mocking comment because that was Red Arbreck, right? Absolutely. R.I.P. Red. All right. And there you have it. Former Celtic player comps for current Celtics on the roster. My pride and joy. That was what fun. Do you all think? That was fun. That Thank was you excellent. for putting that together, yeah. Josh. All right, we need to turn to some recent news. The Bulls, despite my, my attempts to convince everyone that this season is not over, the, the Chicago Bulls are definitely talking as, and acting as if the season is over. But we need to take a quick break. We will be right back with that. Okay, we're back. So the Chicago Bulls have signed Arturis Karnasovas from Denver, J.J. Polk, from um, New Orleans to their to reshape their front office. It looks like um, Josh, who was who was their front office executive that now appears to be on the way out. Gar it was a Gar Foreman, I believe his name was, and obviously John Paxson is moving Gar over Paxson. to John Paxson is who I'm thinking of. He's not on his way out. Gar- he's, he's keeping his job, uh, just not making is basketball. He? He's not in basketball operations, but he's the president mm-hmm. of the of the company now. So he's still involved. Wait, which one is okay. John Paxson? Paxson. Paxson, yeah. I'm not sure about Gar Foreman. I forget. I, like I, I going to an advisory role, right? Yeah, he's. I mean, so I think the important thing is that he's he's re- being removed from basketball decision making, or that that is how they're framing this. Uh, to me, that means that he's on either on his way out, or or they they've finally decided that he's not the one who he's not the one. And a lot of Chicago Bulls fans Bulls fans are very happy about this because obviously they've had a long history of struggles. Uh, Josh, what do you see as the impact of Karnasovas and Polk? So uh, also the Reinsdorfs historically have kept their nose out of basketball operations. So I think it's exciting times for Chicago Bulls fans right now because Karnasovas has full control over operations decisions as far as basketball goes and personnel. Um, I've been thinking about this because Adam, our uncle Mike, our great uncle Mike in uh, the Chicago area, you know, was sending me like articles from Bulls Beat, uh, and I was, set, you know, that were like three days old on the information talking about like the Bulls are interested in interviewing Danny Ferry for the job, you know, and uh, I'm sending him some hoops hype nice. articles that have Karnasovas on there and, and telling him, hey, it's going to be this guy. Um, I think there's implications for the rest of the league, but obviously for the Bulls. Anytime you have a new guy come in, he's going to shake up the roster. I, you know, if I were Karnasovas, I'd be looking at this Bulls roster like, yeesh, this is one of the worst rosters in the entire league. Like, there's not a whole lot you can do with these guys. And there's a selfishness problem, as far as I've seen, with Zach Levine being the guy and taking the shots. And then you got, like, Kobe White next, who's like, okay, it's my turn now. And then you got Chris Dunn right after that. Like, okay, I'm still trying to make a name for myself. So when you guys are done, then it's my turn. And, and everyone's really thinking about themselves. I would change 90% of the entire roster. Um, I, would, keep, yeah. Yeah. I would do everything I could to get rid of Zach Levine and Kobe White. Um, I think you've got some pieces other than those two that you can, you can keep around. Like Wendell Carter Jr., if he stays healthy, it seems like a real NBA player. Lowry, Lowry Markkinen is unclear what his future holds, uh, yeah. but, but it's too early to give up on him. Otto Porter Jr. can be a competent piece. He's clearly overpaid, but I don't, I don't think you 
would maximize your effort around getting rid of him. But I think I think Zach Levine like would need to go to an extremely well structured organization to have a chance at at being useful on a basketball court. I totally he would agree. need players that are much better than him on that team. He would need he would need to go like he would need to go to a team with someone like a LeBron. Like yeah. that can totally command the room that Zach Levine is gonna have no possibility of thinking I'm clearly the guy over this guy. Cause he's got some real skills. Like dude can get to the line. He he has a, a pretty silky jumper, but he makes terrible decisions. He he does he's should not be the primary offensive option for a team because that team's going to suck. Uh, but but if he's fitting in into a defined role with like a real alpha player, that's and that's a good alpha player. Um, he could be very very useful. So great, great like, uncle. Word out of Chicago. I like Thomas Sadoransky on that team too, but he makes yeah. ten mil. I mean, re- really, it's Wendell Carter Jr. He's the only player that I'm all that interested in. I, I and that's what I was trying to tell Uncle Mike. And word out of Chicago, which really means you know, what Uncle Mike is saying that everybody in Chicago is down on Laurie Markkinen. A lot of the articles that he's reading are about, you know, Markinen is potentially a, a cancer in the locker room, or he's not what he was supposed really? to be. Um, and so, if that is true, you got to choose between Markinen and Carter Jr. And I would keep Carter Jr. Just from a locker room perspective, you have to change the culture there. And that's the big thing, Mike. You're talking about with Levine. Like, obviously, he's a talented player, but the culture is not right with that. I'm going to compare him to, you know, I mean, you might argue with me, but Carmelo Anthony is another guy who was kind of a black hole on offense super selfish, not as interested in winning as he was in how he looked playing. Um, not a great teammate. I think you know, some and, of that's unfair for Melo. I, Melo had some, I mean, he led some 50 plus win teams, both in the West and in the East. Like the, that Nuggets team he was on was really, really good with Billups and was AI on that team? No, that was, I don't remember. J.R. Smith the was the number two guy on that team. Um, and then again in New York with J.R. Smith, like they had some legit good teams. So I think, I don't, I don't think it's bit. quite, I, I see some similarities there, but uh, let's just say that in the, in the overall basketball hierarchy, Melo is way, 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 way higher and deservedly so than Zach Levine. Yeah. Zach Levine is the poor man's Carmelo, but the, it's, it's an identical thing to me because I think the only reason Carmelo won more games was because he had more talent, not because he cared about winning more or had better intangibles or played more defense or was less selfish than Zach Levine. Um, so as I'm thinking about that, you know, with this new hire, Zach Levine is now, I would say we, can, we should consider Zach Levine available. We should be thinking, like, what's Karnasovas going to do? Well, he'll, obviously, he's going to try to get some talent and change the locker room at the same time. That's what you do. And get some draft picks. But, you know, the Heat is a potential team, I think, has some players you could get back for Zach Levine that would be solid players and completely change the locker room culture. And the Heat's always going to be looking for another star. I think Jimmy Butler is the alpha dog in that locker room and Pat Riley. uh, (laughs) Oh, my God. I I can't think of a worse combination than putting Zach Levine with Jimmy Butler. Well, you guys both said you got to put him with someone who obviously is is the guy on the team. And is you know is going to fight him in practice if he if Zach Levine steps out of line something like that I think is is yeah, yeah I don't see Zach Levine doing well with that type of tough love environment look at look at the leadership council that the Bulls have formed with with I mean whatever their coach's name he's kind of a doofus but um, Boylan or whatever Boylan yeah is that right no 
Yeah, Jim Borland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's an article out about he's thinking, you know, he's got a good shot to come back. Like, would you rehire Jim, Jim Boylan if you're the Bulls? Oh, God, no. no way. I wouldn't exactly. have hired him in the first place. Exactly. I mean, so you're going to have a new coach. There's going to be a lot of changes. But as we think about that, like, Zach Levine around the league, he's a name that, that dumb GMs are going to want because he's... An- another reason he's, why the Heat shouldn't be in consideration. Josh, I'm pretty sure Max Struess is on a two-way contract with the Bulls. So That's we, correct. I assume you're keeping him. Oh, yeah, of course, <laughs> for sure. you got to yeah. keep Max Struess. Um, so, this- I, I mean, so you're making me think that uh, Markkanen may be available for cheaper than expected, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what they might accept back for him. Could you toss him our two late picks this year and, and I don't know what else, something, something enticing enough that isn't part of the core? I would be yeah, very interested in marketing if the Celtics could get in on uh, if the the Bulls were looking to give him away for for less than seems reasonable on a on a guy two years removed from being drafted at number seven. Yeah, and the ten thousand foot view on this is obviously the coronavirus is allowing us to think about this NBA season and different teams' rosters like it's the off season. It is officially time, in my opinion, to start thinking about things like what can we offer for Laurie Markkinen or talking to all the Celtics fans who, in my opinion, are idiots for being like, let's try to get Zach Levine. Um, and it also makes me think, what other teams are going to have rosters that may be changing over soon? So, Can I, can I, I just put, add something to what you just said, yeah. Josh? I, do, I really want to add an exclamation point to what Josh just said. If there are any Celtics fan listening to us that think the Celtics should get Zach Levine questionable judgment on your part like just you're wrong <laughs> yeah and, and go listen to another podcast that's not called celtics pride because if you want zach levine you are you don't understand what that means <laughs> yeah i'm i'm all i'm all in on this take I, should we turn I viewers away should we turn listeners away on our second yeah. pod on yeah. The celtics talk? yeah we don't want you listening you go find somebody else great job you guys or or tell us why we're wrong <laughs> Josh, so, so what are the other teams that you're thinking about uh, in terms of roster turnover? And, and you know, let, let's, I will allow for this segment to think about the, uh, the season as if it were over. What are the other teams you're, you're looking at? So uh, as you guys think about maybe who, what teams you think might have some player movement coming up soon, um, I'm going to give you like three categories, right? So it's obviously new GMs, um, new coaches, new decision makers being hired, or like who are the next GMs to leave potentially, either from retirement or because their team stinks. So now all of a sudden you're opening it up to like every bottom feeder team that doesn't have a GM that was just hired. Um, and I would say we should add storylines, shifting, shifting narratives, what, yep. what the, the implications are of this to this conversation. Yeah, like Mike had a good comment about Milwaukee because Giannis is in his final year, but we'll get to that. Um, also, teams with stars that run personnel decisions. Okay, so my next team on the list is the Spurs. San Antonio is is going to lose Greg Popovich to retirement at some point. Um, he lost his wife, was it a year or two ago now? And that was kind of the same timeline as people as the league changing and the Spurs not changing with it. Um, that was when DeRozan uh, was, you know, when Kawhi left. That must have been just completely devastating for Popovich. 
um, because it, it had always been an organization run by the executives and a top-down approach, and that's what made them special for 20-plus years. And now, all of a sudden, everybody knows that the Spurs are run by the, the stars. And you know that's a wake-up call to Popovich and to R.C. Buford. But really, even though R.C. Buford is the general manager, we all know that Popovich makes all the personnel decisions and is the guy at the top of the food chain there. And with the Kawhi move, it's no, no longer a successful strategy. So um, I actually talked to some people, some coaches in, within the Popovich tree, coaching tree, the, the family tree, and their theories were, you know, after the Olympics, that's when they thought Popovich might step down. Um, and obviously now the Olympics are postponed. And we saw a sixth place finish for a Popovich-led world team recently. So I just think the writing's on the wall. And obviously Popovich will have that job as long as he wants to keep it. And maybe with everything going on, you know, he wants, like that's maybe the thing that's keeping him going as an older guy at the end of his career. Maybe he's, he's one of those guys that's going to hang on to that for personal reasons as long as possible because it keeps him active and relevant and lively and young and, and you know. Um, but in my opinion, the Spurs roster is available, you know, coming soon. And there's a lot of solid players, a lot of good veterans, a lot of guys that would fit into championship teams or young teams looking for some veteran help and some more leadership. Uh, I think the similarities between the Spurs and the Celtics run deep in terms of how their organizations operate. Any thoughts about the Spurs the, roster? The narrative that's really interesting there with the idea of, um, Popovich stepping down is who takes over. Becky Hammond has been there for six years now. Is she? Would she be the first female head coach of an NBA team? Um, or is there something to the Tim Duncan getting? I guess he was sort of promoted. It's not the right word, but he was a hired. Uh, uh, he was what? He, hired. He was an assistant coach. But he, there was something about, this was the first year, and there was something about when there was a couple games where Popovich didn't coach that Duncan became the coach for those games instead of some people who had longer tenure. And technically, I think Becky Hammond is the associate head coach. So I think that was when Popovich got thrown out of a game. He got two tees and left okay. the game, and, and Duncan took over. But I think that's also happened to Hammond as well, if I remember correctly. Um, and I think so. I think Popovich has kind of done that to a couple coaches to allow them their names to be more in the limelight and um, to be fair, you know, within his organization to give everybody the same amount of grooming and uh, opportunity. Um, but you know, I think if he were to turn the team over to both of them, you know, RC Buford's a little bit younger than Popovich. I could see them both leaving at the same time, but I could also see Buford staying just to try to transition the organization to a Tim Duncan or Becky Hammond led organization. I think having, you know, the way Popovich works, I think that it would be realistic for him to, for us to assume that he wants to make Becky Hammond a historical figure as the first female head coach in the NBA ever. Um, so like things like waiting for the Olympics and, and being able to, to turn the reins over to Becky Hammond, are, I think are actually realistic, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to, need to improve and change their I, roster. Yeah, I was going to say, I hope he doesn't turn it over to Becky Hammond if their roster is the crap pile that it currently is. I feel like like NBA national NBA media has always been careful, including Zach Lowe and in, in, uh, the, the five things I like 
article that he published, but he was talking about how, you know, he could see the moment the, the Spurs just totally lost their, their identity from the past uh, two decades when DeMar DeRozan just left some shooter wide open. And instead of Popovich calling a timeout and reaming out DeMar DeRozan, he just slumped his shoulders kind of looking defeated on the side on the bench. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I, I really hope that the first female head coach in the NBA isn't given kind of a, a poo-poo platter of, of crud uh, to coach. I, I hope this she's given not, it. This is not a poo-poo it platter. Is, it is a terrible team. It, it they're tenth. So let me the, go down tenth the in the West and trending in the wrong direction. People always point to like Dejounte Murray as having upside, Lonnie Walker, and they do. They have some upside. Upside, Jacob Poto, Derek White. that Derek White. Those are the four players that people name. If that that foursome is your core in the West, you are going to be twelfth place consistently for like the next five to ten years. No, yeah, none of those. None of those players has a has a ceiling as a number one player on a regular playoff team and i don't even know if it maybe maybe Dejounte murray could be a, a third best player on like a team that could get to the conference finals so i i mean look Dejounte murray is the the one keeper on this roster for sure you're keeping him um and you're trying to build your team around him and getting some other guys in there but if you're another team and you see the guys that would be potentially available from the Spurs, it's a long list of really helpful players. LaMarcus Aldridge still has a lot left. And, he, I mean, he's a dinosaur. He's not useful in today's NBA. I don't think, but he, I don't think anybody's going to trade for him on his contract. How many, I don't know what his contract is. but He's got one um, more year because they gave him an early great. extension. You put him on the uh, Celtics? Like 26. You put him on the Celtics. He's I would hate him on the Celtics. Job. He's competing with Tice for the starting job. Adam, don't you? Wouldn't you agree? Uh, you put I Lamarcus think he's got the starting job, but it's not yeah. necessarily because that's what you want. I, I would. There's so many better ways that we could use that cap room. Twenty-six million dollars is a huge investment in a player with a skill set that is becoming increasingly less valuable in the NBA. I th- I think he's got two more years left that you know to really help out a playoff team. You put him on. I mean, shoot, any any playoff team that's missing another big man. And he could be the missing link. Yeah, you're, I mean, White, you're the same person that was saying that we should trade Hayward for DeRozan. So you and I clearly have very different valuations of some of the players on the Spurs roster. Yeah, I, and I would DeRozan still... and Hayward are in an interest, the same interesting situation where they have opt-out clauses for their contracts at the end of this year, whenever that ends up being. So we will see what happens with cap implications and, and that amount. Yeah. When Hayward opts into that deal, which we'd be increasingly right. insane to opt out of given all of the uncertainty financially going on, uh, the Celtics yep. are going to be in a painful place and maybe, maybe in a near term pod, we can, we can try to <laughs> identify what exactly that will look like given all the uncertainty. Yep. Just to wrap up on the Spurs, I, I do think there are players that, that, are of interest there. It's like the ones you mentioned, uh, Derek White, uh, Deontay Murray, Jakob Potl, et cetera, Lonnie Walker. But uh, I, those are going to be the same players that they're going to want to keep for the future. So I, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach to that team. I don't, I don't necessarily think that those are going to be the players that become available. It's really going to be the LaMarcus Aldridge's and DeRozan's and Rudy Gay's of the world. Uh, and I'm not as interested in, the, with, in them at the contracts that they're either have or are likely to want. Um, just to talk about some other teams, I, I want to circle back really quickly to the Bulls 
Josh, you spoke a lot about uh, them in a really positive light. There's a great article on The Undefeated by Mark Spears that talks about um, African-American general managers and, and front office of, uh, folks who are really unhappy with the way that the Bulls have managed this process. It doesn't sound like they've interviewed a single person of color um, for these jobs, and yet they're interviewing, can I call Danny Ferry a retread? Retreads like Danny Ferry? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> that was quick. Um, so I'm curious to see what impact that has on on the rest of the league, which is, what, 75% African-American, the players. So if the Bulls um, have money, and they may, depending on cap stuff, they may be free agent players, are players going to really want to go and play for them if that's the reputation that they're building here? Uh, so I'm interested in watching that. I think the Nets have a really interesting situation where if the season is over, uh, we are now moving into the uh, Kyrie Irving as general manager phase where he's getting rid of whichever players. It sounds like he's got a plan for, for who they should be getting rid of. And it, I get the feeling like it's he's kind of able to convince KD to go along with some things here. And it's just a very different way that that they have, have built their team so far. Uh, and they've got some really good players. I love Spencer Dinwiddie. Mike, yeah, I know I'm, you're a fan of some of the players. Yeah, too. I'm really excited about, uh, I would be really excited about some of the Nets players, especially Jarrett Allen, and kind of to your yeah. point. I mean, you know, Jarrett Allen, like, they, they've managed that whole situation so awkwardly, right? Jarrett Allen, Kenny Atkinson had put, had, had put Jarrett Allen into the starting role that he deserves, and shortly before whatever uh, Kenny Atkinson and the Nets mutually agreed to part ways. Right. <laughs> uh, right. That decision had been reversed. And I think, you know, I think that's just kind of a function of the Nets had built this whole culture um, over the years. But when you, when they agreed to sign, uh, to sign the package deal of Kyrie Irving and uh, Kevin Durant, and I think, you have to put it in that order, even though the talent is, is the opposite. Um, they, they agreed to not really have the right type of management control over, over those types of kind of roster decisions or, or, or management decisions on, on who should, be, who is playing versus who should be playing. So you get DeAndre Jordan. Too. Yeah. You get DeAndre Jordan. A, he's overpaid on your team in the first place. And B now he's starting over this super this young super promising um, athletic center and Jared Allen. Uh, so I would love for someone like him to become available and the Celtics to have a chance to get him. Though it's hard to imagine the Nets <laughs> trading within the division. Yeah, I love Jared Allen. He'd be great on the Celtics. That this team they, they spent years building through creating culture, and then quickly just reversed. Uh, it was such a big difference. Uh, I'm not sure like how to <laughs> what how would you put that Mike the the, the shift that they made they made they the made they made a deal with the devil one might say <laughs> not to not to call Kyrie Irving a devil necessarily but maybe <laughs> when you're talking one? about basketball team culture uh, he plays a devilish role yeah Mike I, I think, think it's you, an apt description. I, I think you could I think you can call him a devil I don't think you can call him the devil but a devil for sure yeah He's a he's a team chemistry devil. I got a I got a question for you guys about this because you're talking about it like as if Kyrie's calling all the shots. I'm thinking that Durant came to this team because a I want to play with my buddy and b I want my own team. 
And he didn't have that in Golden State, you know, and he always kind of, obviously Oklahoma City was his team, but Westbrook and Harden were both kind of, you know, nipping at his heels or something. And and uh, I don't know if he had like full control, but you're talking about one of the top three players in the discussion for the best player in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Why, why isn't Kyrie Irving the assistant GM in this situation? Why are you guys assuming that Kyrie's calling the shots? To me, Kyrie is a stronger personality. He, yeah. I, I just, you know, there, there are certain things that Kevin Durant seems to get very sensitive about um, the way, in the way people speak to him. And I think when people are really sensitive about things, oftentimes it's because there's truth to them. Um, and I, I think Kevin Durant is more impressionable. He is a weaker personality. He is more of a follower than a leader. I think those are things that he's reacted negatively to being said about him, but I think they're true. I think there, it's not a, an accident that he clearly wasn't the, 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 major personality on the those thunder teams even though he was obviously a better player than russell westbrook he wasn't he wasn't ever going to have a chance of being the top personality on the warriors um and he was number three behind draymond and and steph uh and i just think when you're you know kyrie irving for better or worse has this insane kind of media gravitational pull and narrative gravitational pull and he 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 is a walking storyline. Um, and some of it is, I think, very legitimately unfair kind of to him and to the, his teams. And some of it he does himself no favors with. A lot of it he does himself no favors with. But I just think Kevin, Kevin Durant uh, might think he might want to be in control. He might think he has a controlling say. But I would wager uh, my, my limited... Uh, accrued wealth <laughs> that that Kyrie Irving is is the one wearing the GM hat and KD wearing the assistant GM hat. But then maybe with if KD doesn't like one of the moves, he's gonna he's gonna veto it, and and Kyrie has to listen. That kind of a relationship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think Kyrie's gonna do things without. I I, I don't. I think they're gonna be talking to each other. But I I have a feeling. Like, just look at the decision for them to go to the Nets. Like, wouldn't you think that Kyrie heavily influenced Kevin Durant's perspective there? Kyrie obviously wanted to go to Brooklyn. He considered Brooklyn his home team that was going back home for Kyrie. KD had no relationship with the Nets or the Knicks or any of these other teams. Like, he could have gone literally to any team he wanted to. But Kyrie, don't you think Kyrie influenced that? I just think that's how... Yeah, I'm not arguing with any of this. Decisions self, on personnel self, would go as well. So, so what do we know then from Kyrie, from knowing Kyrie the way we do? What do we know about what types of players <laughs> we want know around him? <laughs> you know, like as Celtics fans, we've seen how he reacts towards certain players. He took Jason Tatum, you know, aside and was like, "This is my guy. I like Tatum, but the rest of you, I'm not so sure." And I mean, I would have thought that he would have loved the types of players that we surrounded him with, role players who were going to do all the dirty work like Horford. You know, you got young guys coming up that can take some pressure off of him if he, once he wants to kick the ball to them. You got some shooters. I mean, it seemed like a good roster for Kyrie. But, I mean, if you're Kyrie, what kind of player? Are you looking at the sexy picks like Zach Levine, like guys that you would want to get on the team? Or are you, are to, you to even be, okay with honest, Harris Levert and Dinwiddie getting so much shine? I don't know, and I don't care <laughs> what Kyrie wants. Because <laughs> yeah, I would I think, think it's a, com- 
I think it's a complete mystery, and I think it's going to change. Yeah. On whim to whim. Mood to mood. Yep. And that is not going to work out well for them. So, yeah, I mean, Josh, so what do you think, like... What what's your what's your kind of your your thesis here with like the Nets uh, and and how how we should look at them as far as kind of Kyrie and KD calling the shots? I I don't see anyone I don't see those guys wanting anyone else taking their shine. I think that Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis Levert are guys who you could potentially see traded because they're up and coming, you know, good to star players. You know those especially Dinwiddie. And I know that there's been reports that Dinwiddie's friends with Kyrie and those guys, so maybe that would never happen. But I feel like one of those two guys is going to kind of be left out of the rotation. Um, I just, I think it's interesting. I think, I think when you're looking around the league at guys, young guys who are good that are going to get attention from GMs, whether it's for good reasons or not, you, you're looking at Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert and Zach Levine, in my opinion, all kind of on the same level of that B-list star um, that you know could really really help a team and are still young enough to to become you know in the conversation for the top twenty to thirty players in the league if they really develop. Yeah, I have I have no idea. Right, Kyrie came out earlier in the season saying like it's it's glaringly obvious or whatever he said that they need another another star. Which first of all, they have one of the top three best players in the NBA on their team. Uh, and he's allegedly this basketball genius. To say it, they obviously need another star just makes clear that he's not nearly as brilliant on the basketball court as he claims to be. Um, <laughs> that aside, I have no idea what in the, the brain of Kyrie that that perfect third star would look like. Like, I, I just... If it is someone like Zach Levine, then he's even more embarrassingly clueless than than one presumes um i yeah i would they should be so lucky as to get someone with as much promise as karis levert like going forward uh but they are obviously looking at a much shorter timeline but i i agree with you i think karis levert and jared allen would be my guesses as the two players most likely to become available from that team and i think they can net a good return and i think it'll be uh probably a bad a bad long-term outcome for the Nets. Uh, I, I don't see the Nets as serious championship contenders. And if Kyrie Irving is listening and he does want Zach Levine, Kyrie, go find some other podcast to listen to. We don't want you. <laughs> no, no. Kyrie, you keep listening and thinking Zach Levine's a good idea. Actually, I'm all for that. <laughs> but this is a good a good example. The Nets as a team that's led, where all the roster is and their personal decisions is led by their superstar players and not their executives, right? And and you look at the Lakers and the Clippers as other examples of that. Um, and I just think it's going to be interesting. You know, it's not just the bad teams or the teams that have changed GMs or coaches recently, whose rosters may become available. Um, and this is kind of the thing that the coronavirus is allowing us to think about right now, whether the season's actually over or not. Um, things are happening around the league. The, the draft is going to happen, whether it's postponed, um, as, as rumors say that it will be from June to July. To, or August, August. to August, yeah. Every um, team wants it to be. But, I mean, so, Ainge things came are out, happening. Ainge came out and said that they're ready to draft tomorrow if the draft is hot, <laughs> which I kind of love. That's right. Um, I... 
I don't really understand. I, I guess I kind of understand, but it is, it is amusing to me. Like there are just a wide range of teams that are apparently are like, we need to know how the playoffs would turn out for us to make our draft decisions. Uh, so I do love Ange being like, yeah, it doesn't matter. We're just going to draft the players that we've yep. scored highly. And this is going to be a huge advantage for the Celtics in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. When you mean because the season's canceled and other teams won't, uh, won't have Once these the season factors. ends. A a a uh, far shorter pros draft pre draft process I think is going to provide an advantage to the Celtics. Why? I think they're scout uh, because I think I think they begin they they scout better than other teams. They tend to draft better than other teams. I think they that um, I think you're still going to get your interviews in. You're, what you're going to miss is a lot of the one on one stuff in the gym. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I to be completely honest, I don't know enough about their process. I just that's my sense is that other teams, uh, I like I think Ainge knew he liked Langford be, partly because he was a a top high school player. He's been scouting him for years, and when he fell, he was he was very happy with that. Yeah, honest, honestly, all of these topics that they've taken, they've just taken players that have been high ranked high school players for like their yeah. their last two high school years. And then made sure that like there were only promising signs about work ethic and character in college before they yep. declared for the draft. It's like the the Celtics strategy is not does not seem to be rocket science. <laughs> um, so there's going to be players like that 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 have fall, already fallen on a lot of the mocks that other teams are are going to be considering in the same way. You're not going to have. Um, the same kinds of risers, and I just I think that it'll benefit them. Yeah, the only problem is that where where the Celtics, I think, are at a general disadvantage relative to other teams is their international scouting continues to not seem to be as strong. Yeah, um, that's true. They they get some really questionable international guys in, uh, and and don't take kind of calculated gambles that have panned out really well for other teams, and I think that's because those other teams have better scouting and better intel um, on those international prospects. And which is unfortunate because I think in this, this year's draft, uh, my very, 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 very preliminary and limited um, digging into what's kind of out there on the, the prospects suggests that there's some potentially really promising international prospects. And I would guess that they won't be on the Celtics radar. Josh, uh, the thing that I found most interesting about the the Bulls front office moves is that they're clearly viewing the season as done because it is for them. And I think other teams for whom that is the case can can start thinking about offseason, major offseason moves, roster moves, front office moves, and teams that are still trying to win a championship like the Celtics, they're, they're not there yet. And so the idea that we're about to have a bunch of roster shifts, I, I just don't see that happening. But the longer this goes on, the more the playoff teams will realize, oh, it's time for us to start thinking about our roster as well, especially as the draft happens. Yeah, so I mean... You're not, you're not going to have the draft until the season ends, though. Yeah, tra- and, and trades legitimately can't happen right now. Right, until right. Until the season's over. But, you know, Josh, I... Thank I, you. The season is not over. Thank not, you. It's not officially over. It's all but over. It's... It, it's um, and, and so, you know... I want to transition and, and, and tease what I, I, you know, cause this touches on Josh, what you're talking about a, a little bit, but you know, when, when the season does become officially declared over, whenever it happens, when we turn the page onto the next season, there's going to be 
a lot of really interesting storylines, I think, that are going to be at play uh, for thinking about next season's championship chase. Um, and the Celtics are going to be part of that. They're, they're going to be in the uh, contender um, conversation, but they've got some interesting wrinkles in there. So, um, and some of the teams that we mentioned, the, the Clippers are going to be in there. The Bucks are going to be in there. So we're going we're gonna to break down. We're going to look at, at some of those storylines in a little bit of detail. Um, and, and what we think could happen. So tune in again next week for that. And uh, stay safe, everyone. Like, subscribe, all of the above. Let us know what you think. If you disagree on certain points, let us know. <laughs>